Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my Populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Good morning and welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. Well, two weeks ago it was freezing and pouring. Today, it's going to hit 100 degrees. You know, I don't know if it's El Nino, if it's climate change, but it's certainly crazy weather. So, um, well, well, technically it is climate change. The climate has changed from being cold to hot, right? Yeah, but... What happened to Goldilocks? I kind of like it in between. <laughs> you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna cool off later this week, folks. It'll uh, be fine. It'll be fine. Uh, uh 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 uh. You didn't listen to the news last night. It's like gonna be in the nineties around here through Thursday. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be a hundred today, so it's gonna dip down into the nineties. Oh, Vince, you're so technical. But we digress because you know this week. <laughs> It was it was not only the D-Day commemoration, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. It was the craziest week in politics we've seen in a while. Uh, do you know that there are 19 Democrats in Iowa today? I mean, if you're an Iowa Democratic voter, how do you figure out which event you want to go to? I think that's like, one politician to every five or six voters at this point. But the reason for that is that there is a uh, Iowa newspaper poll, which is supposed to be um, very, very accurate and representational, and it's out on um, Tuesday. So that's why everybody except Joe Biden is in Iowa today, and Joe will be there on Tuesday. Does he know something about the poll that we don't know? Anyway, I didn't come to make you crazy this morning. In fact, I want to cool you down because it's going to be really hot out there. I want to give you information that will help you to make an independent judgment about what you heard and saw this week and to encourage you to act on those judgments. Because as the intro says, I'm a businesswoman. I'm not a politician. I start with the numbers, and the only thing I care about is results. 
And lately, I don't think we're getting a lot of results for you and me, the American middle class, the taxpayer. So why don't we talk a little about what was in the numbers this week? Well, that $19 billion in desperately needed emergency relief from Puerto Rico to Paradise, California, has finally passed the House. And the president will sign it sometime this weekend, they say. Subject to change without notice. But on the subject of paradise, talk about people who can, you know, the strength of of the individual, the strength of the family and the importance of community. Here were 85 people killed, a town burnt to the ground, a whole high school dislocated, and their graduation ceremony for that class that would have graduated from the um, high school in Paradise and has been going to school in Chico this year, they are number two in the northern state in math. Imagine that. You're living in a tent. You're living with on somebody's couch. You're Everything you know and knew in your life is gone, and you still have that level of focus. I think we need to applaud those kids um, and wish them well on the next step in their journey toward um, adulthood and the rebuilding of Paradise, California. But lots of other stuff happened this week. Well, you know, the entire hemisphere sighed a sigh of relief on Friday when President Trump tweeted from Air Force One that he was going to withhold that 5% tariff on all goods coming from Mexico, at least for the moment. It's a 90-day deal. If we have time today, we're going to talk a little bit about what Congress needs to do in this situation. Another really startling number, 132,000 unauthorized, illegal, undocumented, whatever you want to call those migrants, flooded across our southern border in the month of May alone. And Congress hasn't moved on the $4 billion supplemental humanitarian assistance bill um, that uh, Department of Homeland Security is asking for. But the House did pass a Dream and Promise Act for dreamers, quote unquote, a magnet. But we'll talk about that as well this morning. But I want to begin right here at home in California. Would it surprise you if I told you there was a typhoid outbreak? Typhoid, medieval disease, typhoid, something that swept through medieval Europe periodically, that swept through the Crusaders periodically. Typhoid is sweeping through the Los Angeles Police Department. And why? Because one of the major substations, uh, um, headquarters, and big palatial city hall are all rat-infested. And they're rat-infested because there are big homeless communities within earshot of city hall. And why is that? Well, you want some numbers? Do you have your coffee? because you want to put it down before I give you these numbers. There are, in Los Angeles, 59,000, 59 in Los Angeles County alone, there are 59,000 chronically homeless people. In other words, 
That is every single seat in Dodger Stadium plus 3,000 more. These are chronically homeless people. These are not people who are homeless for a night. Statistically, they tell us that there are more than 8,000 homeless on the streets of San Francisco, but our eyes and and other um, organs tell us it's closer to 10,000 if you really want to do the counting. There are more than 2,000 in San Jose. Just drive down 280 and you'll see the encampments at every um, off-ramp and on-ramp. Last year alone, homelessness in Santa Clara County increased by 43%. Just let that one sink in for a second. The home of Silicon Valley, homelessness increased by 43% last year. And Governor Newsom, the man who told us he had all the answers, <laughs> he just blithely announces, it's going to get worse. Well, you know what, folks? It doesn't have to get worse. There are reasons. There are reasons that all of this is happening. And let's start with the obvious. Let's have some straight talk this morning. What about our national priorities? I'm appalled, as you are, when I see people crowded into border patrol stations that were never intended to house this number of people or this assortment of, you know, family units, etc. I'm appalled. But you know what appalls me most? more than that, is that we have a humanitarian crisis in the millions across this country of homeless veterans and homeless American citizens. And what do we do about this? Do we act to make it more comfortable? Do we act to improve their condition, to get them advocacy, to get them to the head of the line? No, no. We can't manage anything that looks like affordable housing. We can't build it. AB 50 failed again in the legislature in California. Um, About 90% of homeless in in New York City are family units. It's Eight, about 80% in that Los Angeles uh, number. So you know what? I think we're going to go, I mean, it's, it's chronic. It's getting worse. And when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about why and perhaps some things we could do that would make the situation better. listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And I'm most concerned. I am concerned about the humanitarian crisis on the southern border, and I do think it's a humanitarian crisis. But I'm more concerned about the crisis right here in our own backyard. 
you know, California is somewhere between the 4.5 and 5th richest nation in the world. So you explain to me how we can have more than 100,000 people living on our sidewalks, thinking they're lucky if they have a car to sleep in and that that car can be parked in some relatively safe Walmart parking lot. How does that square with 350 housing units on what Los Gatos calls the North 40, in which uh, the density is so high for these million-dollar-plus two-bedroom homes that, um, that the asphalt is counted as green space? There's something wrong here. There's something wrong where a condo costs a million dollars and 100,000 people are sleeping on the streets, and the governor says it's going to get worse, but he gives a supplemental appropriation to um, San Diego to take care of these pure poor asylees who need to be cared for um, and have uh, adequate housing and health care, et cetera. What about our own people? What about the migrants who got here years ago? Isn't that where we need to start? So... I'm sure you have seen, depending on what network you want, you watch, uh, the outrage, the, the breathless, um, uh, uh, hyperventilating coverage of the inhumane treatment of these migrants as they're crossing the border a thousand at a time. And, and the Border Patrol is doing the best they can to, to determine who they are, why they are here, whether they have any immediate health issues, et cetera, and trying to get them into um, some sort of a appropriate situation. Um, I'm not sure I think that they're creative enough at, in terms of detention facilities, but that's a topic for another day. Um, but where do you see a similar level of outrage? Over 59,000 chronically homeless people in Los Angeles County, 10,000 people sleeping on the streets of little tiny San Francisco. By the way, by the way, the New York Times has now declared that housing in San Francisco is more expensive than in New York City. So maybe that's a place to start. The media, the media looks at, oh, There are people sleeping on the streets. Obviously, these people are derelict. Obviously, these people are um, drug addicted, et cetera. And yet, when you really read about it, uh, you read a story um, like I did in the Washington Post about a couple who actually live at Union Station with their dog, uh, Union Station in in, uh, Washington, D.C., and and they actually have jobs, but they lost their rent-controlled apartment, um, and because they're a married couple, they can't get into a temporary shelter, and so they live in a tent, and every couple of weeks they have to bag everything up and run because the street sweepers come along and they take everything that um, these homeless people have accumulated. So then they have to vacate and go um, around the corner and then come back and reestablish their little home. And there were some examples of that in a Los Angeles uh, Times article as well this week. So where do we start to cast a little blame? 
and where do we start to fix this problem? Well, let's start with the state legislature, which is bought and paid for by developers. And the part that isn't bought and paid for by the development community is bought and paid for by special interest groups, environmentalists, people with a particular penchant around transit, etc. Between CEQA and the environmental controls and the developers and their profit motive and outmoded thinking about transit. I mean, it's 30, 40, 50-year-old thinking. Okay. It's a round robin, and we go, well, we should fix this problem. Oh, well, but if we did this, that would happen. Yes, every action has a reaction. We know that in business. But it doesn't take us 10 or 20 years to figure out the solution because we'd be out of business. And a legislature that allows 100,000 people to chronically live on the streets of this state, the fifth richest nation in the world, is incompetent or corrupt or both. So let's start there. Now, whatever legislation they do pass then goes to the bureaucracy, what I like to call the unelected, unaccountable, anonymous bureaucracy. And for every Two sentences of law. You know what they do? They expand it into pages of regulation. And every one of those regulations adds to the price of every single bloody nail that it takes to build the foundation of a house. And hold that thought because that's one of the problems, okay? The next problem is greed. Well, what will the market bear? Oh, you don't want to pay that rent. You're gone. Um, We see this all the time. We are seeing in Santa Clara County a point where people say, I can't pay that. I don't have that money. The market is starting to soften here because we have reached the Peter principle of greed. I know I live in Santa Clara County. (laughs) I pay one of those outrageous rents. Um. But so that's that's a factor. If everybody cared, if everybody who is in this valley, whose heart is bleeding for those migrants from Central America would bleed as much for their neighbors, they'd say, you know what? Give me a hundred dollars less. That helps you and your family budget. That goes for the big complexes as well. So that's part of the problem. In Los Angeles, they actually passed a bond issue to build new housing. We saw an example of a similar effort here in San Francisco, right there, um, you know, where the beautiful high-rises are overlooking um, the waterfront um, in, in San Francisco, um, where they want to build a center for the homeless that would take care of about 300 people. Um, it build the word build just drives me crazy in this situation. Um, but that, but that's a that's a another topic. We'll get there. And what was the first thing that happened when uh, the mayor said, "Oh, here's a plot of land. We're going to build a homeless service center, and it'll house about 150 tra- people in transition." And blah blah blah. The neighbors went crazy. 
Well, you know, the neighbors have a legitimate reason to go crazy. They are the taxpayers, okay? They don't want to see um, a, a piece of property which was designated for a different purpose reused as this service center. I get their problem. It, for them, it's moving a problem two blocks closer to them that already exists at the Embarcadero. My problem starts with when you have vacant buildings, why are you going to do ground-up development and say, we're going to have one of these centers for 300 people out of 10,000 in every district in the city? Is that called, we're going to inflict pain on every district in the city? We don't care what you think. We've decided what, what your social justice mission is. All of this social justice mission stuff is really good. You know, we have reached a point of income inequality that we should talk about. We have a very squeezed middle class, as many of these chronically homeless people are, middle class working people with families. The majority of them actually are, okay? We have an income inequality problem. But more immediately, we have a problem with 100,000 of our fellow citizens in the richest state in the union sleeping on the streets. How do we fix that problem? That's a three-part solution. We forget this building thing. And, and I actually have somebody in mind to have come on the show and, and talk about how we could do some of these things. So let me just broadly outline them. Warehouses. You know, when we build, when a new company moves into a building in Santa Clara Valley, you know what? What they do, they reconfigure the building. In other words, there are some stationary, there are some stationary plumbing and other kinds of things in one of those buildings, and everything else is done with temporary walls. There is a lot of unused storage space, for example, in San Francisco, and they've done some of this in Los Angeles, by the way, where you could create temporary kind of partitioned little portions for people to have shelter, to have a place where they can put their clothes and their belongings and take a shower on a regular basis, etc. And then we can start to help them with a more permanent solution. But first, let's get them off the streets. And we have, we have the capability and the capacity. What we lack is the will to do it. And that's where you come in. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about that further. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back, and we're going to talk just a little bit more about this homeless crisis in California, because you know what? Humanitarian assistance starts at home. One of the ideas that some of the folks in L.A. have had is that Congress should fix this problem. No, this is a problem we made. This is a problem of greed. There is one thing that the federal government could do, and we'll get to that at the end of this little soliloquy, but this is a California problem. California is going to have to fix it. Back to the numbers. Building a new unit of housing 
whether you do it in the San Francisco Service Center or you talk about the tiny houses they've talked about in San Jose and Oakland, it costs half a million dollars to build a affordable, um, a one unit of affordable housing in California, according to our legislature. Well, you see, that's not the end point, ladies and gentlemen. That is the beginning point. That's where you start to do the fishboning to figure out why, why you can't build that unit for $100,000. Is it because we've announced you can't build low-income housing unless you build it next to a transit center? And if you happen to own the land that's next to that transit center, what does that say to you? Yes, it says dollar signs. Ooh, I'm going to get more money for this property. Okay. Back to my early or comments about greed. And, you know, we're all guilty of it. We all want to get the most that we can out of, you know, our assets. Um, but there comes a moment when you need to be, when things need to be reasonable and rational. So, what could we do? We could actually set up uh, facilities where people who live in RVs, for example, like 50% of the students in Palo Alto's Ravenswood School District, 50% of those kids live in RVs and, and smaller unit, uh, mobile units. So why can't we find some lot, some area where we could put in some, you know, toilet facilities and so forth, and people could safely park and there'd be some police patrol, et cetera. That, that would be a first step. That would be a first step. But the city of Palo Alto is planning to do just the opposite. If you have driven down El Camino and you've seen the row, block upon block, of RVs parked on the street, people are living in those units. In, in September, Palo Alto is going to ban them. Now, they haven't said we're going to relocate you to this better, more humane environment. No, we're just going to ban you. That's how we're going to fix the problem. Maybe they can all find parking around Facebook. Maybe, maybe that would be, you know, uh, that's pretty close to their, in East, their headquarters are in East Palo Alto. Um, and maybe that would be um, a, a solution. But I don't think Facebook views it that way. So if you live in this county, call your, call your county supervisor and say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to see RVs moved off of El Camino Real, especially on Stanford game days. But if you're going to move them, you need to find a humane place where these people can exist, where their children can go to school clean and fed, and where these people are safe. That's your that's that's the minimum trade-off. I'm I'm you know I'm trying to be practical here. We also have a lot of unused warehouse and distribution space. We could reuse some of that space. We could also get serious about the small number uh, between nine and twenty percent of these people. It said it it tells us uh, the st statistically are either drug addicted or mentally ill. We used to house those people in very humane state facilities. Maybe that is the answer. 
I'm I'm not uh, saying throw them up, throw them into a 19th century insane asylum. I'm saying we should go back to the system we had before Reagan, where we had these beautiful park-like large facilities that were capable of housing people and caring for them on a long-term basis at a cost of less than $100,000 a year plus benefits for sanitary engineers to clean their excrement from the streets of San Francisco. Now, all I am saying in the final analysis is we have a responsibility to ensure that our veterans and our squeezed lower middle class families have safe, permanent housing and on the route to safe, permanent, affordable housing, we need to be creative about how we create interim solutions that do not require years of construction that that can be accomplished perhaps using some of the homeless labor in a matter of weeks. We can do this, folks, but war is the will. So call your consul person, call your uh, county supervisor, call your legislator. This is a problem that California must fix. We have an obligation to our fellow citizens to our neighbors to fix this problem once and for all and we'll be back to talk a little bit about migration and feckless congress in just a moment Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And while we're talking about humanitarian crises and um, and increasing uh, costs to the people of the state of California, as well as Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, soon to be Florida, um, <clears throat> 132,000 migrants crossed the border illegally last month and were detained by the Border Patrol. Now, remember, this is the ones that got caught. You know, a few of them are so poor, are, are terribly poor men, young men who are walking the 2,000 miles from Guatemala, but the majority get money sent to them from someone who's already here in the United States and for between two and $5,000 a head, the cartel picks them up at the Guatemalan border, puts them on an air-conditioned bus, and in two days they're in Brownsville, Texas, with plenty of rest stops and food. Now, the Border Patrol is a law enforcement agency. Their job is apprehend and, you know, and, and identify and detain their job is not is not to provide social services, okay? But they are. Today, they are not just the apprehension arm of the government. They are also the first responder medical officer, the purser, and the babysitter. And what does the media do? The media runs out there and says, you are the Gestapo. And then we wonder why people don't want to take those Border Patrol jobs. 
You also have to be bilingual, by the way. Now you have to be trilingual. You have to be able to speak Mayan, too. So solutions to this crisis do exist. They do not start with 5% tariffs on our second biggest trading partner, Mexico. Okay. Um, I, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but tariffs are taxes on the consumer. That's you and me. So if you think uh, 250 for a large avocado in the winter is, is expensive, wait until they are $3 because they come from Mexico. Um, It's a blunt instrument, a tariff. But Congress, if it wanted to, Congress, here's another phone call, letter, whatever you want to do. Congress could make a difference tomorrow if they wanted to. And this is a bipartisan if they wanted to. And that is, we've said it before, let's say it again. The issue of illegal immigration is a great political issue for voting, for getting people into the voting booth. If you solve it, you lose that great political opportunity. So what is Congress not doing? It's not passing the $4 billion supplemental that Department of Homeland Security has asked for to create more detention space. And, and just to replenish their diaper supply, all of a sudden the, the GOP says, oh, we can't spend any more money. And then the Republicans this week, the, uh, the Democrats this week, the Democrats finally decided it's time for DACA legislation. Okay, time to help those dreamers. And it's nothing, nothing but a political gimmick because gimmick, the Dream and Promise Act is never going to become law. Because most moderate Democrats could not, in the final analysis, vote for this if they thought there was a chance it would pass. But don't take my word for it. Here's Dan Crenshaw, Texas congressman and, and decorated Navy SEAL hero, and his explanation of why, in a district with a lot of DACAs, a p- program he advocates for, he voted against this piece of legis- legislation. Hey everybody, welcome to our next Here's the Truth video. Today we're talking about HR 6. What is HR 6? It is the DACA bill, okay? It is the fix for dreamers. Here's why I'm voting against it. First of all, Republicans are generally in favor of finding a solution for the dreamer population. I think we should be. Here's the problem. We have to fix the source of the issue at the same time, which means fixing the crisis on the border and fixing our asylum laws. We've put forth a lot of solutions to that already. It all has to happen at once, okay? You can't keep bailing out a boat and not fix the leak in the boat. You can't not fix the source of the problem. But the issue with this bill is actually deeper than that. When Obama first passed uh, his DACA program, it was actually surrounding a very small part of the population. There were standards on it, okay? You had to be a certain age, you had to come in at a certain age. This new bill has done away with all that. It actually takes away all those standards. There's no age limit. So when most Americans think of what a dreamer is, we generally think of a young college student, speaks perfect English, and they probably do have a place in American society. I actually think we all agree on that. This bill would open it up massively, all right? Basically, you you could be a 45-year-old man, you could say that you came here as a teenager, and you could say you're a dreamer. So this isn't really a fix for dreamers, it is pure amnesty. 
There's more problems than just that. I think most Americans would agree that there should be some set of standards on what a dreamer is and who qualifies to be uh, legalized under the DREAM Act. Well, we would probably agree that you shouldn't have a criminal history. So Republicans tried to work with Democrats in committee on this. We put forth amendments. For instance, most Americans would agree that if you've had a bunch of firearm offenses, you probably shouldn't qualify to be a dreamer. Well, Democrats rejected that. I think most Americans would agree that if you've had multiple DUIs and if you hit somebody while you were drunk driving, then you shouldn't qualify to be a dreamer. Democrats rejected that. I think most Americans would agree that if you have gang history or known gang member, then you shouldn't qualify to be a dreamer. Democrats rejected that also. The problem with this bill, it doesn't fix the source of the issue, and there's no standards in place on the population that we're talking about. That's why I'm voting against it. As you can see or hear from Congressman Crenshaw's analysis, this bill is not intended to become law. It is merely intended to be H.R. 6 so that all those Democrats can go to their Hispanic districts and say, see, see, those Republicans wouldn't let us pass a dream, a, a, a dream act. Because, you know, most of the law-abiding people in those districts, like Crenshaw's district in Houston, would vote for would vote against a congressperson who would vote for this bill because they don't want gang members in their community. They don't want people who, who drink and drive. They don't want people who use guns indiscriminately. I mean, this is pure politics. If you just think people are so gullible that you just give them the name of the bill and they're going to say, oh, yeah, that must be perfect knowing it will never become law. But in the meantime, giving it to the coyotes as an opportunity to say, see, 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 send your, send your teenage kids to the USA. They're going to become dreamers. Then they're going to be legal. Then they're going to bring you. It's a magnet. I, I have a problem with what he said. Okay, so dreamers are essentially becoming citizens, right? No. What, what, would, what status would they have? They would have a legal status. That is one of the things that has never been fully decided. Okay. There have been various bills that said they could become um, green card holders, but they couldn't become citizens. There have been other bills that have said um, they could eventually become citizens. But all of those bills have the caveats that Dan Crenshaw talked about in terms of when you entered, time, they're time-fenced. Okay, so that they only deal with people who have been here at least a decade, um, uh, who entered before they were 18 and can prove that, who graduated from high school in the United States, which would eliminate a lot of these gang members, um, who are currently in the military, have a full-time job, or are a full-time student. Okay, and the, the question would be, it would give them legal status. We don't, it's never been decided if that would be a special visa type or it would be a green card or it would be a path to a green card that would eventually become a path to citizenship. That's the Lindsey Graham solution is a visa to a green card to eventual citizenship. But there have been provisions that would say you cannot sponsor, you cannot chain migrate your parents into legal status. Okay, so I, I get that, and I agree that there should be standards 
for people to be here legally. But if we applied these same attributes, qualifications to our own citizens, we'd deport, you know, a good portion of our, our citizenry. We have people that have firearm offenses that are citizens, that have DUIs, that are in gangs, that are already here, that are citizens. But they're, but they're citizens, okay? Based on this, shouldn't we revoke their citizenship? Well, hell. Uh, well, should we make them illegal? Ber- no, Bernie Sanders thinks we should let them vote when they're in prison. Bernie Sanders thinks if you're a murderer in prison for life, you should still be able to vote. So there are penalties. If if you're convicted of gang offenses, of, of RICO, of whatever, you go to prison, okay? You do your time, and depending on the state, you lose your right to vote temporarily or permanently, et cetera. There are, there are implications for uh, committing, a, if you're a citizen, for committing a felon, a felony, if you are, if you... If you have a gun offense against you, you can never in this country illegally buy a weapon again. I think we should apply this to citizens, too, because we would uh, get rid of uh, a lot of these uh, gun violence situations, gang situations, DUIs. If we just if we just expelled all of our existing citizens, apply the same rules to our own people, we might be able to solve a lot of the crime that's already here. Well, here's the difference. We're not going to deport. You know, we're we're not. France and we don't have penal colonies, okay? But the difference is that these people entered the United States in violation of American law. So there is a basic underlying difference between that person or a citizen. And that is the issue which we're trying to address. Now, this, the problem that I have with the original Obama solution, while I thought the caveats, et cetera, were, were fundamentally sound, that we were saying here were a group of people, a subset, who we thought would be credible American citizens, right? Um, the problem was the problem was that it was date specific, and I wondered, well, what would you do with people who got here after 2010, who were in a similar situation? whose parents brought them, who were in college, et cetera, but they got here in 2012 or 2014. You know, how do you apply a fairness doctrine to that? Because the issue, the the response, the only response to what you are saying is, uh, the question you're asking is that if you are a U.S. citizen and you commit one of those crimes and you have a record for having committed one of those crimes, there are penalties that affect your rights as a citizen. So there is an equity in that. Fair enough. We need to take a break. Go, Go take a break. listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back and I have about 1 minute. So the closing point to that entire Crenshaw piece is Congress is the Democrats are trying to create yet another magnet for illegal immigration instead of trying to become part of the solution. Period, paragraph, end of, end of argument. And in closing, I, I hope you watch some of the D-Day commemoration because we can't leave today without stopping to think of the greatest generation at the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And here are a couple of numbers in the last seconds we have this week. of the first wave of soldiers 
never reach the beach. 80% of the second wave, and yet they kept coming. Would the 1% who serve today be as brave? Unquestionably, yes. But what about but what about the rest of us? What about the rest of us who no longer feel necess- it's necessary to sacrifice for our fellow Americans? So please be a part of the solution to homelessness in the USA. Turn this into a call of public service. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.